Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired by, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we speak with musician and producer Don Dixon about his contribution to the 1988 dark comedy, Heathers. Introducing the new Sensation Filet Sandwich Meal for a limited time, only at Zaxby's. Heather Chandler, Heather McNamara, Heather Duke, Veronica Sawyer. Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be. The most powerful clique at Westerberg. God, Veronica, drool much? Most people would die to get into it. Heather number one just looked right at me. I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Veronica would kill to get out of it. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. JD has come to answer her prayers. I'm a no-rest build-up man myself. Well, kill her. He's got a way with women. A way with words. Is this as good for you as it is for me? Life can And a very special way with a gun. Veronica can't live with him. Help! I love my dead gay son. And she can't live without him. Does this turn out weak or what? I had at least 70 more people at my funeral. What? Their meeting was destiny. That knife is filthy! What do you think I'm gonna do with it? Take out her tonsils? Their love has a body count. I loved you. It's coming up here to kill you. That's it. We're breaking up. Young love. Heather's a killer comedy. And we're back. It's been a relaxing two months off for summer break, but we're glad to be back with a new episode, talking with musician and producer Don Dixon about his contribution to the 1988 dark comedy Heathers. The movie's been getting some hype lately, what with its 30th anniversary last year, the Broadway musical adaptation, the TV series, and the Riverdale episode last season featuring music from the musical. So it seems as good a time as any to dig deep into the darkly hilarious film. Musician Don Dixon did a lot of production work for indie bands in the early 80s, most notably co-producing R.E.M.'s first two albums, Murmur and Reckoning, with Mitch Easter, as well as producing three of the early Smithereens LPs. For Heathers, Dixon wrote and produced the song Teenage Suicide Don't Do It, which is the big hit by the fictional band Big Fun. It's strangely never seen inclusion on any official release of the soundtrack and is only available on Dixon's 1992 compilation If I'm a Ham, Well You're a Sausage, released on Restless Records. However, last month, Varese Sarah Band brought out a 30th anniversary edition of David Newman's score for the Michael Lehman film, pressed on very neon green wax. The sense might be a little cloying at times, but the melodies are excellent. So, much like the film, it manages to still be excellent, despite parts which are a little dated. We talked about all of this and more by phone with Dixon a couple months back. so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I do appreciate it. No problem. I'm no 
problem. I, I loved this movie, and, and I haven't really talked about it that much, so it's it's fun to get to talk about it. Uh, like, I know you've done like you've done a lot of production, and you've actually been in a couple of films yourself. But like, how did you come? Like, how how did they uh, uh, approach you for Heather's? I am not a hundred percent sure whose idea it initially was. My, uh, they got in touch with the label, and the label got put me, you know, together with Michael, who was the director. Now Denise Denovi, I had actually met her back in the late seventies when my band was on Warner Brothers, and she was involved with some movie. I think maybe a Spielberg movie or something. The one about the whore, I don't know, something some that would have been in the late 79 or 80. Um, so we had met her briefly, so it's possible that she was aware of me. I think they were just aware that I'd produced R.E.M. and I had a lay, you know, and I was making records for um, Enigma at the time. You know, I was a, as a writer and singer and had kind of a minor MTV hit called Praying Mantis. Mm-hmm. But I don't know exactly like who, what generated other than I think, you know, Michael was a big replacements fan. <laughs> and um, he he actually named, I think it's called Westerberg High. It is. In the movie. So. Now the, and they originally hired me to, um, to sort of be music director, to fill the movie up with, you know, current oh, okay, hipster yeah. songs. And um, so, so they flew me out to LA to to look at a screening. It was done. You know, David Newman was still pretty young. He had done this kind of, you know, sort of synthy homemade soundtrack for it that was extremely effective. And um, you know, I sat there and watched the movie and and loved loved the movie. I didn't know anything about it before I went out there to look at it. Um, and it, it was just a a lot of dialogue. I just felt like putting a bunch of songs in it would be a mistake. <laughs> and so after looking at the movie and thinking about it a little bit, I said, you know, you really, it's going to be, it's a mistake to fill this up with songs because it'll date it in a way. I don't think that the soundtrack will, will date it in the same kind of way. Mm, as yeah. But, you know, like all those movies like Pretty in Pink and Breakfast Club and everything that, that, had such successful soundtracks the movies themselves are really set kind of frozen in time and and because of those soundtracks i think and um so anyway uh so i said all you really need is that is the song you've got to have a song that he blows the blows the boombox up with his gun (laughs) you know because it the, the big fun teenage suicide don't do it song so I'll write that for you and record it, and then we can, you know, call it a day. Now, like, it's it's really it, what's what's interesting about that song is that, like, it exists in the world of the movie, and it gets like mentioned a lot. So, like, I I assume you came to it like you had the the name of the band and you had the name of the song, but like, how do you? Yeah, that was how, all built into the movie. How do you like try to like make like what were the guideposts you took to to turn that into an actual composition? Uh, I at that 
point, I was already in this kind of mindset as a solo artist of picking the title of my album and the cover of the album before I ever wrote any songs. <laughs> so, uh, not a hundred percent true, but before I finished the song, you know, before I, like on the, the first album is called most of the girls like to dance, but only some of the boys like to, which is the name of the art that's on the cover and existed before I ever, I did not invent that name. <laughs> second album is called Romeo at Juilliard. It was a painting done by a guy. So I wrote a song. So, so I was sort of, in the mode of, of thinking that way. So, you know, writing the kind of song I, I felt would be semi-timeless and a little funny and, the, you know, very little of the song actually makes it in the movie. But, you know, I, I really like what I made up for the song. And so, so I, I made this sort of semi-dance, it wasn't semi-dance, sort of a, you know, a, a kind of a dance song really. And, uh, for this fictional band, Big Fun. And then I got Mitch Easter and his then-girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, Angie Carlson, and my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, Marty Jones, too. And we all just went to drive-in, which which Mitch's studio at the time, and just worked on it all day. And they felt, they were all asleep by the time I'd finished. Everybody <laughs> was passed out on the couches at 3 or 4 in the morning while I was finishing the mix-up for it. So we, we acted like a real band, and we you collaborated a little bit on you know on how it should go. And Mitch is obviously playing his fantastic guitar stuff, and so I, I tried to make it feel like a, a band. Now, like once it was done in, in the film, did you like how long was it before you you saw the film and how the song was incorporated into it? Well, I knew exactly. I mean, I'd seen the movie. Oh, since already, you, you know. So I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew it was, would only be about 30 seconds of the song before he blew the thing up with his gun. So, I mean, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it was probably wasn't very long because one of the last things you do, you know, as you know from doing these podcasts now, is, is insert whatever the, the current pop stuff that's <laughs> going to be part of the – that's the last thing you, you do because you want it to be as – current as possible so you, you have whole placeholder songs so they had some sort of placeholder song when i saw it the other funny thing was that michael uh there were about maybe 15 people at this screening that he had for me and he looked over and there was winona and he said god damn it how does she find out screen this fucking thing she shows up to every fucking screening so at least i got to meet one out of there it was, she was a doll you never see the band in the film. Did you have like an idea in your head of what big fun might look like? The band, I, in, in my head, they look just like Mitch's band, Let's Active. I mean, they were oh. sort of a, a cross between Echo and the Bunnymen and, um, you know, and Bananarama. <laughs> I think that that fits absolutely so perfect with that time period. The faces I had, yeah. So, like... The the film obviously um, it, like found, didn't do well in theaters, but it like found its home on on video and <clears throat> things you know like being aired on cable and things like that. Oh, generations and generations of, of kids, you know, loved you know my children discovered that movie long after it had you know 
just because of video. Yeah. Well, and the 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 song never got like a, a release until it came out on your your greatest hits album in '92. Um, right, which was what four years after the record came out or something. I mean, after the movie came out, when the movie like didn't it come out early '88 or something? Like yeah, that? it came out like mid '88. Yeah. Oh no, it came out at the end of '88. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it came out and it was made in '88 and it came out in March of '89. Oh, it didn't come out until March of '89. Okay. So yeah, so that you know, yeah, I mean, it's I'm I don't really know why they didn't include it on the soundtrack, except it was probably David's just David's soundtrack deal or something. Mm -hmm. Like it probably wasn't even the 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 release of the soundtrack probably had less to do with the movie and more to do with David. But you know, I do I, I don't worry about anything that I don't have any say over and as you know there's a lot of a lot of people stirring the pot in a movie what was what was your reaction like when you found out like heathers was made into a musical well i, I you know i was pretty horrified by that but but you know that that was a long time ago wasn't it i mean i mean i mean a long time between it becoming between when the movie came out and then it becoming a musical it's sort of like you know the, the gray garden thing that happened all you know all of a sudden there was this it's all these zeitgeists and 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 things that happened these swirling notions all come together at odd times and, and you have you know two movies about you know hypnotists and you have two movies about Truman Capote the same year you know <laughs> it's uh so I you know I'm just kind of horrified by almost all musicals after uh, West Side Story. So it, I got no, you know, <laughs> it was, I, I don't know anything about it. Do you know anything about it? Um, yeah, like, uh, like I, I've, I've heard the score. It was actually very, uh, sort of interestingly, um, the, the television show Riverdale, which is sort of like a modern update of the Archie yeah. comics. They do, they've done musical episodes and this season's musical episode was Heather's. You're kidding! So they did the the musical version of Heather's on Riverdale. Yeah, like as as like because Riverdale's sort of a dark version of Archie and Veronica, right? Yeah, it's essentially like sort of like Archie, but via like Gossip Girl and Twin Peaks. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I mean it may be just fantastic. I'm just an old man, just a crotchety old fuck. So you know it. Um, it's. Uh, I just don't know much about it. I mean, I didn't even like you know, the fact that they put Hairspray on Broadway. So, because <laughs> oh. I love that movie. Oh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of that movie myself. I, I completely yeah. concur. Like you continue to uh, play music with your your wife Marty Jones. Um, yep. Uh, where and without her, she's she's sort of reluctant. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, musician. What sort of uh, what sort of performances uh, do you do? Oh, yeah. When we get when we go out, we'll we'll either go out we we go out a lot just to do because that's the only way you can make any money. And then sometimes we'll have like uh, I think about half the shows we're we're going to do a few shows in North Carolina in uh, May and uh, just a little run through the state, and we'll have a drummer with us on a few of those. And sometimes we go out as a quartet. I mean, it's, it's 
been a long, you know, we've been playing a long time and it's been all the way from a nine piece band with a horn section to, you know, just the two of us. And then we, and we, well, you know, I play a lot solo too. So she will occasionally do a solo gig. She hates them. <laughs> do you, do you do any, any producing anymore? Yeah, a lot, a lot. I've made a bunch of records this year. I did the Gin Blossoms record came out last year. Remember the Gin Blossoms? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a big fan. They were a pretty successful nineties band. Yeah. And, um, it's a good record. It's a real good record. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of interesting records, a really cool record on a guy named John Rooney. This came out recently and, uh, yeah, there's always, there's always a lot going on. So is the best way for people to Making find up songs. <laughs> so is the best way for people to find you, uh, via, via your Facebook page? I, I guess. I mean, yeah, I used to have a website and all and everything, but it's just so much trouble. And, uh, and it's, um, you know, I, 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 I guess, you know, I, I don't really want people to find me. So it's, I want to hide. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really that anxious about any of this stuff other than the creation side of it. The, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about Heather's that, that needs to, you know, there, there's like a, in, Teenage Suicide, there's a crazy build-up sort of where a bunch of cacophony is going on and stuff right before it breaks down. Right. I don't really remember the mm-hmm. song that well. You know, that's a, that, you know, that's all kinds of things, including some... The PTL Club used to record a lot at Reflection, which is Jim and Tammy Baker. <laughs> and uh, Tammy made a lot of records. And so Tammy, part, some of Tammy's stuff is part of that cacophony just because and and i think one of the brilliant things which i had nothing to do with but wish i had been smart enough to to think of it was beginning the movie with with sid straw's version of Kesara and then ending it with sly stone's version of Kesara. totally brilliant and i have no idea whose idea that was but what a just great thing to do well the the funny thing was is like they wanted to use doris day's version but she refused to let her music be used in any film that featured profanity yeah no i i i they he actually told me you know that they were talking and thinking about quesarasara and they couldn't get the rights to it but then when the movie came out and it was sid's version which i had which i loved i was so happy and excited yeah, it's uh. Um, well, I mean, you it's, you it's worked really on cool you worked movie. on a couple of so, her albums. So right? you like John Waters in general? You said something about Hairspray. Oh yeah, no, I'm a I'm a huge John Waters fan. Year uh years ago, like I live in Lawrence, Kansas, um, and he came right. through and did one of his talks at our at our art center, at, and we paid far too much money for like front row seats, <laughs> and it was it was <laughs> no, just. No such thing. It was just He's the best. Man. It was charming and wonderful and it was everything I I wanted it to be. <laughs> Cuz I don't it, think he's he, I don't think he's ever let anybody down. I mean, he is it, it he truly just delivers in this calm great way. I I'm sure you're familiar with his the fact that he talks he's the guy who talks through 
uh, Mommy Dearest on the DVD. Mm-hmm. And if, if this is something you haven't heard, I mean, you've got to hear because it it's maybe the best ramble during a movie of any of those things that's ever been done. It's just, I bet I've, I bet I've watched Mommy Dearest with him giving his take on it ten times at this point. And, um, you know, he, he's, as a matter of fact, I've, I've, I've listened to it so many times that I also use, now use wire hangers when I travel because they take up less space. <laughs> so, um, yeah, which is one of his, he says, what's wrong with wire hang- hangers? I always use them when I travel because they don't take up as much room in my bag. <laughs> but, yeah, what a guy. And Female Trouble is maybe my favorite movie of his. I, oh, I'd be um, hard-pressed to pick a favorite. they're all so good. They're all, they're all yeah, so good and excellent. One. And I just, just love Don Davenport. <laughs> that whole opening scene, better get them cha-cha heels scene. <sighs> drives me crazy so you know so there are things and the reason I'm, I'm bringing john back up is that i think there are things that are kind of in common with heathers and and a, a john waters movie there's a, a not only the sort of tongue firmly in your cheek aspect of the whole thing but there's a kind of a look to that movie that yes. reminds me of John's Hollywood movies. Uh, there's a rhythm that's real similar. The inner there's a the in 2014 for the film's 25th anniversary, they did a like sort of like an oral history of it for Entertainment Weekly, and one of the things they kind of allude to is it, it almost seems like. Heather's was sort of like the introduction to like uh like a whole generation of kids and young adults like myself into like the whole idea of like black comedy like the idea that you could have yeah. something that is like dark and violent and weird but also hilarious and I think that's like <laughs> it, right. it it it's like Heather's is almost like a John Waters movie with training wheels Oh, it completely is. And you could not, I don't think you could make that movie today. Oh, no. You they tried to make have that. have kids murdering other kids and getting away with it today. No, and I don't think I... The PC aspect of it would be too hard. And it, it, it walks, I think part of the reason that it's such a successful movie and it like resonates still, you know, now 30 years on, is that it does have the, it walks this very fine line where it, it it makes it entertaining and hilarious but it's not like glorifying it like it's 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 very uh it's very uh apparent that jd is is not a good person right 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 jd is not glorified at all you're right that's a that's a great and ends up getting it in the end you know the uh the the other thing that I think is interesting is somebody that involved with the movie said this to me, you know, not that long after. So I don't remember why I was talking to him. I don't know if it was Denise or somebody you know, like Michael or, or said that that one of the things that kind of worked for them with the Shannon Doherty character was that she just didn't understand it at all as as a human and an actor. Yes that she just did not get it. And she was playing it like super straight. And it's so effective because her 
character is like really effective because she's trying so hard to take everything so seriously. And uh, she did, you know, she just, and, and that kind of goes for everybody, but they said it was really, it was really funny. <laughs> she, she like ran out of the, the, you know, when she saw a screening, she ran out crying because it wasn't what she expected. I didn't know. know it was a comedy. People were laughing. So she laughed and she ran out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you've ever heard that about it, but that, that was something somebody oh, yeah. mentioned to me. Well, sir, this has been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for taking okay, time great. out of your afternoon to talk to me. This has been so much fun and like fascinating. Okay, man. Talk to you later. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thanks to Don Dixon for speaking with me. You can find his tour dates and more info on Facebook by searching Marty Jones and Don Dixon. That's M-A-R-T-I, by the way. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at FromAnInspiredBy.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long distance fees. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking about the music of the Aquabats Super Show and Yo Gabba Gabba with the Aquabats MC Bat Commander, Christian Jacobs. Until then, thanks for listening. Dad says, act your age. You heard the boss, it's time to rage. Let's the beast turn out the lights. Ain't nobody home tonight. Get down, it's all cool. Jump right in my heated pool. Push the wall and start a fight. Ain't nobody home tonight. This folks got a lot of bed. Come upstairs and rest your head. Let us cuddle you while dialing up some pay per view. The folks are Our love is God. Let's go get a slushie.